Yeah, it's so good. It's so bad that it's good. That is the wrong answer, actually. <laughs> it's just a wild romp. I am feeling this. Yeah, yeah, yeah! All of them! What are you talking yourself into? I'm trying to talk myself into that. This is what this podcast is for. We're also trying to talk you into it. Welcome to Talk Me Into, the podcast where a group of friends try to talk each other, and maybe even you, into liking what we like. This week, it's Lost with Dave Gonzalez. My name is Jeff, and Dan and I ate Thai next to Bob's Burgers' Eugene Merman. My name is Jimmy, and I selfied with Kevin Smith. My name is Dan, and I've played guitar for the last 25 years because my parents thought that drums were too loud. It's just too darn loud. Yeah, I thought Jimmy said that he sells feed to Kevin Smith. No, nope, he I does sell chicken feed. feed. Yeah. Oh yeah, Kevin Smith is known as a poultrypreneur. Yeah, no, he's, he's a vegan famous... now. It's oh, true. Wow. Yeah, he is a famous director. If people don't know, and uh, I went to go see Clerks, Small Rats, and Chasing Amy with him. Not like as close best friends, but with it was him. like a yeah. Hey, well, Kev, he you want to go see these movies? Yeah. So I don't know you, if you've ever heard of them. Did you take a selfie with him or near him? No, he he actually took my camera and took it with me. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Jeff has a Weird Al picture like yeah, that. Yeah, I took a selfie with Weird Al. Look at you, Fun man. fact. Yeah. Another fun fact. So, Jeff, do we have any reviews this week? We do have a review this week. So thank you for leaving a review on Apple Podcast. You could also leave reviews on Stitcher somehow, and you could email us at talkmeinto at gmail.com, yeah. or you could talk to us on Twitter at talkmeinto, or on Facebook, or all of these things that I've mentioned and that we'll, you are we'll aware of. And we'll read them all on the show like we'll Jeff's about to right like now. This. Uh, this is a five-star review. You hear that four-star, yes. Brian? A five-star review from Katie and Odie. So discussions. In a world of endless podcasts, the unique format of this one certainly stands out. I particularly enjoyed their Deadwood episode and hearing their commentary. Subscribe and listen now, y'all. Yeehaw! That that one is actually funny because when I read that, I knew who posted it. Oh, but I was I unaware that we mentioned so discussions on the podcast. So I like freaked out at messaging him. I was like, "How did you know about so discussions?" I thought it there was are stalkers. Like, I don't know. It said Odie, so like Garfield's friend. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. up to his old tricks. <laughs> it's a good joke. Well, thanks for the review, guys. Hello there, listeners. I'm sorry to interrupt your regularly scheduled program, but I'd like to come to you now to talk to you about a topic that's very important to us. Talk Me Into has a Patreon page. That's right. You can join up and help us pay for some of the expenses of keeping this podcast on the air or on the internet or whatever uh we have three tiers and for a low rate each month you're going to get access to a ton of exclusive content our first tier is clerk for one dollar per month you can get exclusive access to merchandise early episode topics show notes a visual archive and more this month we've launched the visual archive of Jeff's show notes. These are very wacky things that Jeff writes down as he prepares to record an episode. Uh, it's pretty fun to peruse that and see what's going on in that dark, disturbed mind. Um, at the litigator level, which is $3 per month, you're going to get everything from the clerk level. Plus, mini Patreon-exclusive Talk Me Into episodes, like the one we did recently for Old Town Road. Coming this Friday. Audio archive access to previous podcasts and music from hosts' old bands. And like I said, this month at the litigator level, you can hear an episode of our previous podcast, The Incompetent Comic Cabal Cast, where Jeff and a friend of ours, Dante, very in-depth, some would say too in-depth review Weird Al Yankovic's mandatory fun album. And finally, at the partner level, for $5 per month, you're going to get everything from the clerk level, everything from the litigator level, plus exclusive full-length talk you into episodes, a video archive, 
quarterly cook with us videos and you decide episode topic polls this month we've dropped our first cook with us video it's jeff jimmy and i cooking paella it came out delicious and boy are you going to want to see how it turns out so we want to thank you for listening as always if you feel it in your heart to chip in to keep this podcast going we'd love for you to visit patreon.com slash talk me into if you don't have the finances right now make sure you support us in other ways tell your friends and family subscribe rate review send us an email it'll be great thank you for listening and we return you to talk me into i probably should have written a script Welcome back to Talk Me Into. This time, each episode, we usually take some time to say what we're talking ourselves into. But I think this week, we're all talking ourselves into a very special guest that we have on. You know him from all your favorite pop culture deep dives over at Thrillist. He writes for that. He does a podcast called Fighting in the War Room, another big Game of Thrones podcast called The Storm of Spoilers, which has now transitioned into The Storm, a lost rewatch podcast. He's your internet favorite, Dave Gonzalez. Dave, thank you for joining us today. Hello, everybody. Oh, and especially hi. Dan, Jemmy, and Jeff in this digital space that <laughs> yes. we're sharing. Yeah. We are talking to you through the magic of the internet. You are in Colorado and we are in Connecticut. Yes, it makes all these magical things possible that, you know, back in my day, the phone used to be attached to the wall. So we're living in the future. This is the Jetsons. Yes, we remember <laughs> those days as well and are thankful that they are long past. <laughs> um, so we wanted to have you on and talk to you about Lost because it's something that we haven't had a ton of exposure to and you obviously have. But before we get into that... Um, how did you get into sort of pop culture critiquing and reviewing and these deep dives that you've sort of become known for? Ooh, well, that's a fun story that weaves through a whole bunch of things. I'll try to abbreviate it, but also hit the cool parts, which is uh, I went to film school in New York. I went to NYU's Tisch School of the Arts for screenwriting. Thought I was going to write movies and kind of grew up thinking that was going to be uh, my way through. And uh, after uh, graduating school, started like a tiny film production company uh, with a friend of mine from NYU uh, that was just called Brillhart Gonzalez Productions, I think. But back in the day, you used to be able to make money uh, doing music videos and like corporate videos, music videos are these things that everybody used to do and not be able to shoot on their phone. And <laughs> yeah. so there was a whole sub industry that uh, could do that. And then on the side, I thought, you know, I might be able to walk immediately out of college into a job uh, for like a lot of people in my generation that didn't work out that way. <laughs> so I <laughs> so I decided to have to like blog my way up. Um, and that started with pornography reviews because I could do those and then they would let me keep the DVDs and I could put the DVDs on eBay. And That's awesome. Like, Porn DVDs would get like uh, like low low like in thirty dollars high could get like a hundred and fifty dollars if it was like you know four hours of DVD quality content with somebody that was important so made some money that way so not, uh, not to cut you off but what does a review of those type of films yeah I didn't know that was entail? an industry because because I've consumed that type of media and right. I've, I've never read a review. <laughs> on any of those films. So I was working for a site that was called sexherald.com. Uh, I'm, I'm positive that they have since wiped all my bylines <laughs> and that site still exists. So uh, that's nice. But uh, the my editor at the time, which I actually have, uh, was like, people aren't going to read this for like the lighting or your thoughts on the plot. So it really was like, of examples of reverse cowgirl of which i've seen hundreds <laughs> this one is notable for like she's able to shift her weight like effortlessly there's this guy named oh i forget his name now but uh he was a large man and very good muscular shape <laughs> and was able to just like reposition all of his partners without them having to like necessarily you know stop and move around he would just like lift them and place them and so I spent a long 
part of one review being like, this is not a skill that you see in like everyday porn. If you're looking for like this, like nonstop sex where, you know, the part, the positions change just because one guy's physically uh, strong enough to do that. This, this could be for you. Uh, there was a couple that dealt with the idea. There was one, there was a girl going back reading her old diary entries and they all had like erotic, uh, vignettes about time like uh, <laughs> the the farms crops were due and uh you know she was just about to graduate college and like all these things and it was like vaguely about time so i tried to talk about if time at a place in pornography hmm, things well, like that's, that that's actually so pretty, you're, pretty you're, woke you were looking for some standout features unlike the uh rest of the crop Exactly. So the thing that I've learned since is that uh, pornography and uh, like the 60s and 70s Godzilla movies are both things that you could watch at one and a half or two times speed and still critically engage with them at the exact same <laughs> level. I think you would if you watch them at full time speed. Yeah, that's an interesting connection. Yeah. So I went from like that to um, gossip blogging. Uh, which was just sort of based on I met a guy who had like a video uh, paparazzi operation in Los Angeles and he's like I need to have a website and it needs to be super populated so can you do something like 90 posts a day and I'm like no and he's like well they, they, they only have to be two or three lines about like a photo and then I'm like oh then yes <laughs> and so I did that for a while and from those two things both sort of dissolved at the same time and I was giving an opportunity by comingsoon.net to do a hybrid gossip um, movie blog. Yeah. Which it was great for me because it allowed me to get into like the ain't it cool news space but just I actually had no contacts with people. I'd be like, I heard that the Joker could be blank. Wouldn't it be funny if like here's like five pictures of Crispin Glover as the Joker and then I got (laughs) to finally... Uh, you know, reduced the number of posts I got to do a day. And then that led to stuff like uh, my first Terminator timeline where I just woke up one day and I like needed something to fill the site. So I was like, what if I tried to figure out the Terminator timeline as if it like existed? And I had been watching the Sarah Connor Connor Chronicles on DVD. And so I kind of like put that together in my spare time. And a lot of the transitions from like stuff I was doing purely for money to now the stuff that I do uh, professionally, but also have fun with. I initially just started doing because I wanted to do it. So like, can I figure out the Terminator timeline? <laughs> the podcasting started with like listening to the Slash film cast and writing down things on the subway to like tweet and text at them like afterwards, like counterpoints. Yeah. And then finally they like let me come on and I did like a couple guest spots and everybody was super nice. And I'm like, I bet I could do this with the people I like drink with. After I see movies and those people ended up being people like Katie Rich, who's now at Vanity Fair and David Ehrlich, who's now at IndieWire and Matt Patches is now the entertainment editor at Polygon. And we started our like chat podcast uh, like eight or nine years ago now, I think, um, when we were all living in Brooklyn. And that sort of just became an outlet to constantly be expressing uh, an opinion and honing uh, the way that. I did media criticism, sort of elevating it out of the early 2000s. Uh, everybody can, you know, it was transitioning from me- uh, message boards to social media, and it was sort of like a messy transition. And, you know, we kind of killed magazines that way. But <laughs> trying to figure out what uh, entertainment journalism looked like as I started going into my 30s and kind of kept doing it uh has been what i've been doing ever since and you know the big things like game of thrones uh are kind of no-brainers that once again i fell into Mm. where i was listening to joanna robinson on a cast of kings which she has with dave chen who's also from the slash film cast so basically following people that i think are my favorites and uh they were doing this game of thrones podcast and joanna had read the books but dave kept being like we can't talk about anything beyond what we're actually seeing on the show. And I thought that was real dumb because there's like wikis and there's Google. And if you want to know it, I feel like there's a like place to know it. So I wanted to create that place for Joanna to talk about it every week, uh, which became Storm of Spoilers. Uh, Then we picked up uh, Neil Miller from Film School Rejects because he listened to like two episodes. And he's like, this is absolutely where I belong because I've read all the books. (laughs) And um, ever since then, like through... Uh, 
I don't know. We've we've had a lot of debates with within the fan culture and within like our fans about how much uh, knowing the plot points of something can either enrich or your experience of watching something. So like I was saying earlier, there are certain things that I think you could watch it uh, a different speed and not necessarily lose anything critically. Are you losing or gaining anything critically knowing the plot of something before you go into it? Uh, It's sort of the question that I've been most interested in for these past couple of years in like the podcasting sphere. Uh, That and, you know, pop culture deep dives, because I always like the idea that I think might have started with Lost, uh, but this idea that the fandom wants everything to have been thought of previously and make sense, but that's not the reality of how stories are told in these mediums. So wouldn't it be fun to try to imply that, ex- it, to try to impose that extreme logic on what does exist? Uh, I think as long as you don't take it too seriously and you're not like yelling Damon Lindelof off Twitter, which I did not participate <laughs> in when it happened and uh, don't, don't like support. But I do think it's fun to try to poke at the, at the show and see how much water it holds all the while knowing that, you know, it's a show that I really enjoyed while it happened. Yeah, and, and you're a big proponent of uh, enriching and also being more concerned with the execution of things rather than the surprise factor of it. So I think that we're going to take a break, and when we come back, you're going to talk a little bit about Lost, and this will be like a spoiler-free section, but then we're going to get heavily into it later. So let's take a break real quick, and when we come back, we'll talk about Lost. So we are going to be talking about the 2000, what year did it come out? 2004? 2004 2004. series Lost, which is a show that I kind of knew about, but I've never watched like a full season, maybe a few episodes here and there, but uh, something that I've always had interest in, it was always in my periphery. And uh, as today, we have our very special guest, Dave Gonzalez, who seems to be an expert at this. So, Dave, what was your exposure slash uh, what made you hooked into this kind of series? Um, I'm going to say I, I didn't watch it from the beginning. That's something that my family did uh, without me. Mm. And then I went off to college and uh, came back and they were still watching it. And uh, I remember sometime around season three is like my specific memories of their memories of an episode right no spoiler section there's memories of an episode where i walk in and i see my family watching it and i'm like oh maybe i should check out this show that they've been uh, watching for a little while mm. yeah so uh i got into lost uh in time for the fifth and sixth season seasons and um then after it was done, became obsessed with the idea I was referencing earlier, like how much of it did they have figured out and how much could you suss out uh, the, between like mythology and uh, television production. So around the time that Lost started streaming again, uh, no, it wasn't Lost started streaming. It was the season six Blu-ray set that looked like a weird Egyptian temple or something. Yeah. Uh, I went back and started rewatching it. And during my rewatch of season one, um, I season one's a perfect, I think, distillation of what the show is on a structural level, which is it's a drama that's sort of uh, survivor meets castaway. So there are these people who are survivor playing cl- crash that's on an island. And uh, there's a lot of alliance making uh, because Survivor was big at the time. And there are island problems because Castaway was like a thing at the time. But then there's also (laughs) this third section, which are these mysteries. Uh, In the very first pilot episode, they find like a polar bear on this tropical island. And there's a weird uh, French radio signal. And the idea there's these mechanical sounds in the jungle uh, that are knocking over trees. So it might be a beast or something. We don't. We have no idea what it is. So there are all these mysteries that are, of course, what we know now are like a J.J. Abrams mystery box concept, which is the unanswered questions is what drives you. But since this is uh, what J.J. Abrams did after Alias, we weren't, uh, as a culture, necessarily into asking those types of questions. 
Yeah. So I was like, the first season's really interesting. And I tried to convince my fighting in the war room uh, companions and eventually did to do a little rewatch project with me called I Lost the Filler, where I went through the first season and I cut out all the flashbacks because mm. each episode oh. has a series of flashbacks that uh, uh, color what's happening on the island through character-specific things. Mm-hmm. And I tried to see if that um, made the focus of the serialized storytelling uh, more clear because you weren't stopping every week to do one of these deep character dives. Mm. And that was interesting in the sense that it was fun to do and you do learn a lot about the island being a bunch of wandering around like nondescript jungle <laughs> uh, and then a whole bunch of um, character moments like have very odd tension because somebody's coming out of a flashback and the audience perspective is somewhere different than where the perspective of the characters would be. So I wouldn't say it's an entirely successful experiment in the sense that you all should do it, <laughs> but it got me really thinking about uh, Lost's strengths uh, as a series uh, in being able to tie together a structure. So you got to sit down and do you know 22-episode seasons for those first uh, two seasons, but then also uh, make sure that each week's episode uh, is self-contained enough to do uh to draw people in and keep people hooked to these uh character specifics yeah and we should say that you're kind of living that now because you have the storm which is a lost rewatch podcast and you guys are tackling this episode to episode week by week so i have not delved too deeply into it yet because i'm waiting to start my lost rewatch and get caught up with you guys but how is that going so far uh, it's been going really well. So I, it's been a couple of years since I've rewatched season one, and uh, I'm not going to jump ahead as much as my co-hosts. They've, I think, all completed their series rewatch for for this project. Like again, oh yeah. Um, so uh, it's been really interesting for me because I the calm sections. I always knew what I wanted to say for the storm sections because I'm interested in the mythology and the lore and that's how my brain works. But the calm sections have been really great in a TV show becoming itself at a very specific time in television. So right now we're in season one and it's amazing how they're still very worried about continuity. This is so pre-binge yeah. that uh, every episode has to kind of remind you of the key stuff that happens. Mm. And then I gave you guys, you know, not to spoil too much, but I gave you guys three example episodes we're going to talk about later. Yeah. And of those three example episodes, uh, I think the first one and the last one chronologically have previously ons. The middle one just starts and is its own thing. So it's really interesting to see how lost as it's watched by an audience actively and the uh showrunners know that they're doing certain things right and they want to address certain concerns uh sort of weaves in and out of how serialized its storytelling is yeah but i I think all the while keeping like a amazing character anchor not all the while 95 percent of the time (laughs) keeping an amazing character anchor uh that um drives you you know through every sequence to build this gigantic uh, puzzle box of a series. Yeah, so let's let's get into that. I know my uh, my cousin Jimmy mentioned that he has not seen any Lost. Um, I've seen a little sort of patchy on and off, depending on when it was streaming and stuff here or there, but no more than a couple seasons. Um, Jeff, what's your exposure to Lost? I've seen it all once, uh, 10 years ago. Uh, my original exposure when it first started, I remember driving to college, listening to the Howard Stern show, and they were like gushing about the show Lost. It was like doing crazy ratings. Um, people were just talking about it everywhere. But I was still like, I'm not really interested into like this Lost Island story. Yeah. I didn't know there was like weird stuff like monsters or sci fi. Oh, so you thought it was just mystery. a typical like, castaway type Yeah, I story. thought it was just like a generic network show. So I went years just ignoring it until I had a work injury in 2009 and I was on my couch in bed for several weeks. And this is just when Netflix streaming came to uh, PlayStation 3. So I got that on and they had they had all of the seasons up until I think season five was airing at this time. So I watched everything. I found sources online to watch uh, season five and I binged it so quick and I got trapped in in everything because it's so lore heavy and mythology heavy. 
And then by the time season six came out, I was watching each one of those. Season six is the last one, I believe. Right? Um, Yes. Yes. So by the time the last season came out, season six, I was watching every episode weekly. And I was I was the one online to typing up my theories and reading other theories. And like because things were crazy. And there were some like, to me, huge disappointments. And by the end of the series, I at the time I hated the final episode and I was like, oh, I don't think I ever need to rewatch any of this because I'm just so mad at this. But a decade has passed. (laughs) I've matured. Uh, I've started a podcast called Talk Me Into where I'm being open minded. (laughs) He's all grown up. So um, (laughs) so uh, you're willing to give it another shot. Right. So I remember like a lot of the big hits, a lot of the big reveals. I remember the characters, but I don't remember a lot of like the small things and or the big things that um, were just spread out over these six seasons. So I'm I'm pretty excited to jump back in um, and see if my memory is cloudy or if I was right all along. So, so Dave, you picked a few episodes for us to watch. You want to get into a little bit of um, what they are and sort of what made them jump out to you as being good examples of how the show can be at its best? Yes. Uh, so I picked three episodes. Um, All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues, The Constant, and Abiturno. One from season one, one from season four, and one from season six. Uh, these are all issues that uh, I- issues. I'm talking about like a comic book <laughs> yeah. because that's sort of how it feels in my mind. These are all episodes that I feel um, have very strong character stories uh, that have beginnings, middles, and ends. I don't think they're character stories that leave any questions in this. So I think if you're gonna jump around and pick a la carte things, it'll drop you into some big situations, but the single episodes are excellent and then these are all episodes that introduce parts of the lore that uh, will end up being important but i don't think they're the most important parts of those episodes i think these are actually pretty good examples of how the show can deal with its lore but then also keep things exciting there are mirror episodes to all of these episodes where it maybe goes too lore heavy and we don't have that character base. So I didn't want to shove you guys in the deep end necessarily. But that being said, uh, these three episodes, although I think they're a great example of how the show Lost works, I don't think are good like tour of the lore. I'm leaving out some of my favorite parts of oh. the Lost lore uh, it, by you know skipping some episodes uh, just to not you know blow everybody's minds. So but I think that these three episodes are a good example of even... Through its entire run, it had this very solid character base. And when it was at its best, uh, was able to introduce lore uh, alongside very strong like episodes of television, period. Yeah, and I think we're also um, we were watching uh, the first episode to the pilot just because Jimmy doesn't know anything about it. So we decided, you know, it might be a good way to introduce some of the characters and concepts. So when yes, I imagine if you go right to Abiturno, I, that would probably be a disservice <laughs> to everybody. So thank you for adding that in. So when we come back, we will be talking about season one, episode one, the pilot, season one, episode eleven, all the best cowboys have daddy issues, season season four, episode five, the constant, and season six, episode nine, Abiturno, and we will be spoiling them. Um. That's great. And we're back to talk about the pilot of Lost. Yes. Uh, Jimmy, this is your first experience with Lost. Yes. This was the first episode I've ever watched from start to finish. Uh, I've caught a couple of clips here and there. Um, I I, I did write down a lot of notes. I'm not going to hit all of them just because the other episodes I feel are more important. Um, But I feel as a pilot episode, I thought it was great. Um, it, It... really seemed like ABC just kind of threw a ton of money at it. Um, I love the uh, very beginning. It, it kind of felt like uh, um, the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan where everything's kind of hectic and uh, we're Chaotic. still trying to, Yeah, we're still trying to figure that all out. And um, uh, the character beats were really good. And um, just it really hooked you with that weird sound that all of a sudden everybody was like super scared of. And I was like, ooh, this island's about to get spooky. So, um, 
Uh, yeah, you, you mentioned a couple of things that I wanted to touch on a little bit more. I was surprised by how early the paranormal stuff starts. Yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, yeah, I remember it from the series, but I don't remember it being so prominent. Like, literally before the first commercial break, we get some weird smoke monster stuff. Um. Oh, yeah. I think there was a period of time in the development of the pilot where J.J. Abrams is like, and then at the end, they find this hatch, and they were like, you got to slow down, man. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> um, And I also liked... um. The character work that they laid into pretty early, like you see Jack's nature, this sort of um, reluctant hero saving people within the first 10 seconds. And and then you get Locke being his classic stoic weirdo gazing out onto the horizon and Saeed with his like military strategic thinking. So, yeah, I thought that was a sort of a cool opening. As someone who uh, works in broadcasting, too, I thought it was really interesting that the first segment of it is like 20 something minutes long, which is like unheard of in broadcast television. So I was like, they must have like really had a lot of faith in this or just kind of like we're hoping for the best, especially for a network in 2004. Yeah, like for sure. Now, I mean, Jimmy, you've seen a lot of TV since 2004. Oh, yeah. Um, the production value has risen and with the rise of prestige TV, yeah. uh, Lost might not look very impressive mm. um, considering things you've seen. But like to me, when I, I mean, I started watching this in 2009 and even then it was still pretty impressive. Yeah, I thought it was great for a pilot episode. I thought it was really well done. Mm. Yeah, it has an amazing scope and then it manages to, you know, start big and it'll never really get that big again the first season. Mm. No. No, that's not true. There's some stuff at the end of the first season in terms of production scale that's kind of amazing as well. But it is great that it they they shot the pilot. They took a huge risk. The pilot was a hit. And then they had to get like back to the mines and sort of figure out what the show was. And it's great how much of it they were able to save from what is basically this like backdoor film and be like, no, no, here's our series. Like we have Jack flashbacks, but we don't have the idea that they, these are going to be episode by episode character specific flashbacks yet because it works as if it's telling the story of this plane crash mm-hmm. and we have the mystery of the island and i in my rewatch this time is what i caught that like uh like right off that shot of uh Locke in, enjoying the rain is like another smoke monster shot and i'm like oh they're putting all the creeps together yeah. which you know comes together in season 6 so the the amount of things that um, I don't know, like I sympathize with that group of people who were hired to do an impossible job and they had this text and they're like, figure out a way to maybe write episodes in this world forever. Go. Yeah. And how much how much of this they were able to salvage and turn into something that you could do on a weekly basis is absolutely amazing. Yeah. So, Jeff, did you remember when you were originally watching this if you had a favorite or did you choose sides because i know as the series goes along they sort of alternate between uh lock and jack sort of like these two different opposing forces when i was originally watching it i was definitely team lock um that's how i feel too like, over time it changed i don't know how far you got into the series dan but maybe like four seasons there, there's some there's Things change quite a lot yeah. as the show goes on. And by the end, uh, I can't really say that I stuck with Team Lock. Um, it changes over time. But even the characters who are unlikable, you're still so vested in and so interested in like their history. Even when at some points, if memory serves correctly, it, it did feel like they were making things up as they went along, which I think they were. And some of the characters have like really weird like side arcs in their flashbacks or their flash, flash forwards, sideways or whatever sideways. Yeah. yeah. It's um, originally though. My answer is team lock. What about you, Dave? Did you pick a side early on? Uh, yeah, I think I'm still team lock. I, it's, it's uh, the reason I'm a fan of dark side users. They're not wrong. Like choosing <laughs> power isn't wrong. <laughs> you know, like you're going to probably be defeated and that's, you know, part of being, part of like a heroic morality tale but like kylo ren being like all hurt and shit that's not those aren't invalid emotions yeah. Locke's faith is not invalid it just seems like a dumb choice knowing the full scope of things and you know ultimately causes him 
not great things in his life, but I was team lock even in season six. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, he's the MVP of this episode for me. Like Terry O'Quinn has a great performance and even just that little scene that could be a little throwaway, that orange rind smile became like sort of iconic. You see that in little clip shows of the series and stuff. So yeah, I like that a lot. But then we watched um, season one, episode 11, all the best Cowboys have daddy issues. So what made you pick this one, Dave? What about this episode said, oh, this has to be included? So there's a couple episodes in season one where Jack just gets an idea in his head and rushes into the fucking jungle. So I knew I had to include <laughs> one of at least one of those episodes. And uh, the reason I like all the best Cowboys have daddy issues is it finally shows us the incident between Jack and his dad that made them estranged. Uh, Jack had to go to Australia to get his dad's body back and there's a whole bunch of more stuff that we'll learn about that as the season goes on but season one uh there's this question of what happened between jack and his dad and uh here we get to learn in his backstory that his dad was operating under the influence and nicked somebody's artery and jack was unable to save him and was going to let him get away with it until he learned he was pregnant and so jack's guilt complex is like at the fore which is then echoed in a very important mythology episode where Ethan, uh, one of the others who's uh, been hiding in the camp, uh, takes Claire and Charlie uh, sort of on a, I guess, chase through the the jungle that uh, has Locke and Boone split off and eventually come upon the hatch. So Mm. some great examples of running through the jungle uh, being actually thrilling. Uh, We have a fight with Ethan in, like, the mud. Uh, We have some, like... uh, key series jack guilt problems and then we have Locke finally coming across the hatch which took them 11 episodes instead of the one that they were planning but is like i think a great idea of we spend 11 episodes opening these people up and i think all the cowboys have all the best cowboys have daddy issues is really the pivot point where now there's another group of people they're maybe mad at us they wanted the baby and uh, there's this weird, mysterious metal in the jungle. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that sort of echo between uh, Jack's guilt or soft spot with the pregnant woman on the operating table with the uh, pregnant woman on the island who was taken. Um, I also noticed there was a cool little physical uh, moment between Jack and his father that echoed uh, where he, he sort of patted Jack on the shoulder Um when Jack sort of conceded to play along with his explanation of what went wrong. And then later on, he saw his father replicate the same motion and it sort of just revealed to him, you know, this is something that his father does as a way of, yeah, it's an act. Yeah. As a way of controlling or coercing people's emotional response. So I thought there was a couple cool echoes in this episode. Jimmy, what did you think of this episode? Uh, I really liked the dynamic between uh, Jack and his father. I thought that really, um, fleshed out his backstory a little bit and kind of shows where he came from. And Jeff, did you, um, did you, how did you feel when they revealed the hatch? Dude, I literally wrote down in my notes in all caps, the hatch is discovered exclamation point. Yeah. Cause I had forgotten when the hatch was discovered in the show. Um, but th- it became a huge part of the mythology of the show and the lore of the show for quite a while. I don't exactly remember when they finally get in the hatch. Uh, Dave, if, if you do, Please feel free to jump in. Season two, episode one. Oh, yeah. Man of science, man of faith. So, I mean, we're talking for half of the first season, it, like the hatch is this huge mystery. And I mean, like I binged this is one of the first shows that I binged while streaming. So I didn't have to wait, you know, six months or a year to find out what was in the hatch. But still, while watching it, I mean, a, a lot of things happen in between when they find it to when they open it. And then after they open it, like crazier stuff happens, too. So I, I did like how that episode ended yeah i don't know anything about the hatch uh this is the first episode that it, it was revealed that um i literally wrote down oh dang what is that a, uh what does that steal a bunker or something because like i said i've never seen this show so that was definitely intriguing and made me want to watch the well next if you talked into it oh uh, we'll yeah maybe out. i was yeah. talked into it what's in the hatch yeah no actually if i could talk you in to the gap between this episode and the constant <laughs> then i've done my job because that is my favorite little bit of Lost. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, um, when I saw this list of episodes, um, I don't remember much about Lost, but I saw the constant on the list, and I like did a little, yes. Yeah, so let's get into it, because I felt the same way. For me, this is the standout Lost episode. Dave, would you go along with that? 
Yes, so this is uh, Desmond's on a helicopter with Lupitas and Saeed, all people... No, two, only one of those people Jimmy knows. Mm. So oh, yes. you have yeah, to watch yeah. two uh, and a half more seasons to get here. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they're uh, going to a ship, which they think might be there to rescue them, but we don't actually know the purposes of the ship yet. What we do know from Charlie at the end of the third season is it's not... Uh, Penny Widmore's boat it is uh, somebody else's boat but Desmond who has been in a relationship with Penny which I don't feel I have to give a whole bunch of backstory to because this episode does the lion's share work for me uh, wants to figure out the mystery of if this boat has anything to do with Penny because he's been trying to get in contact with her since he's been on the island for decades Mm -hmm. so he gets on the boat but unfortunately the coordinates that they take to get out scrambles his mind in time yes and he has to work with uh scientist daniel faraday who's on the island uh through time to find his constant uh, the thing that's the same for him in both the past and the future and this is some really fun wibbly wobbly timey wimey this was awesome. Yeah. I love time travel stuff, so this was like, oh yeah, I like it. And you don't know anything about these characters. Is this the first time you've seen Desmond? No, yeah. Faraday? This was the uh, first time I've seen any of those characters, um, but uh, this was very self-contained. Like, this was, uh, it, it was almost like a concept episode. Right. Well, um, like Dave mentioned, you don't even really need to know a ton of the backstory because yeah, yeah. the emotion is strong enough. It, it gives you just what it what you need. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I love this episode. Um, I thought it was great. And this episode itself, uh, I guess would say, is quite possibly uh, my anchor point into talk me into oh it's your constant yeah it's my constant <laughs> jimmy's always going to be into time travel stories yeah well, probably. And I, I really liked how the time travel wasn't him physically traveling through time it was his consciousness yeah, yeah. Um, like another piece transported of media back and forth eight years yeah and i i particularly love the moment where faraday tells desmond over the walkie-talkie that he has to find him in 1996 it took me oh, right yeah. back to Dr. Emmett Brown's chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. was like, let's get into it. Let's figure out how time travel works in this world. And Dave, you're someone who who analyzes how this how time travel works in fiction. So how did this hold up for you? Uh, this is one of my favorite, uh, I guess, fictional time travel ideas, which is the difference between your body traveling through time and your consciousness traveling through time. Mm-hmm. Or time or dimensions or however you want to figure that. I think that this is a pretty good example of Lost, at least in this episode, saying there's linear time because it ends with uh, Faraday finding the note in his notebook that Desmond is his constant, Mm -hmm. which means that, you know, he succeeded, which is interesting because if you look at uh, like um, it's in terms of time passing on the island, like Faraday obviously looked at his notes, talked to Desmond on the radio, walked off, and like two minutes later figured out that he'd succeeded. But the episode, you know, cuts it together to like edit it up, which is, you know, a great example of television, uh, you know, taking, putting the story before the actual mechanics. Yeah. But what I, what I love about this is that it, they use this idea of consciousness traveling through time, but they also seed this uh, secondary power of Desmond's which is that he has like a, a resistance. He has a higher tolerance to all these things than everybody else, mm. whether it be electromagnetism, whether it be like the actual time travel. So even though uh, we see the, Eloise the rat and unfortunate uh, freighter guy <laughs> both bleed to death because they can't come back, uh, that isn't really a threat to Desmond if you know his power structure. So it's another example of where it's like this episode stands alone as an episode about like a weird time travel thing with people on an island. Uh, but it also puts in the blocks, the the storytelling blocks for the arch narrative of Desmond's uh, the person who could pull out the cork <laughs> to the one person on this podcast who knows what I'm talking yeah, about. He has the high constitution. Yeah. So... Um... Jeff, one thing I noticed, and I was wondering if you picked up on it okay. as another, you know, Doctor Who fan, time travel guy. I loved the little connections between the time jumps. So you see the moment where he's bending over to pick up change, and then all of a sudden and, he's on the deck of the boat. Yeah, so like that's that's a production thing. Like the the way that Good they editing. just filmed it and edited it was 
seamless. Yeah. It was really good. I, I don't know a lot of the technical aspects behind that. Jimmy probably knows a lot more, yeah. but it was just done. It was just visually stunning as well. They, they, a lot show, of good match cuts. Yeah. Like, how do you show consciousness traveling through time? Like this, you just, <laughs> yeah, like this great is editing. <laughs> this is how you do it. Lost, you did it. Thank you for it. <laughs> they have a they have a really good conceptual um, con uh, costuming boundaries, right? Mm. So you have I've been stranded on a desert island for like twenty some years, which is the wildest hair you're ever going to have. <laughs> And then you have I'm in the military, which is the most close cropped yes. hair you're ever going to have. Yeah. So you don't have to do any like age makeup. You just, your costuming does all the work for yeah, you. Yeah, that's a yeah. great point. And, uh, you know, I wonder how much of that was dictated by Jack Bender, who I don't know if um, Jimmy and Jeff are aware of this, but the episode was directed by Jack Bender, who we probably know the most from directing The Door from Game of Thrones, which is the, the Hodor oh, episode, oh, yeah. which yeah. has its own fun little time loops. Yeah, yeah I didn't know that. So, Dave, being a Lost fan... Jack Timebender. Yeah. When you started seeing Jack Bender show up on Game of Thrones, did did you have sort of hopes or connections about what he could bring to the series? I, I just knew that I would be dealing with somebody that elevates their job beyond, you know, to that extra level. So, this is Jack Bender in, like, season four. Jack Bender was around since season one, and his episodes have always been like trying to do that extra mile, you know, leave that extra space over somebody's shoulder that the others could be in or, you know, something like that. Um, and that's 2004 television directing. So that's still a time period where you could just have people who just walk in and direct an episode and walk out and never necessarily have to put a stamp on it. Yeah. Jack Bender's visual style, I think, is the series because he is the glue that puts all these middle episodes together. Uh, and so when he ended up doing the door, first of all, I was like, oh, cool, a Jack Bender episode. This is going to look cool and have something cool about it. And then once I saw the door, I was like, oh, shit, somebody liked the constant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So so that brings us to the last episode that we watched for this podcast, season six, episode nine, Abaterno. So... um. This one feels the most foreign to me because I never got to this point. So, Dave, why does this stand out to you as sort of a culmination of what this series can do? So this is another uh, episode that I would say is like a single character focus, uh, except this one might be maybe to a fault, especially, uh, I don't know. Hmm. There's no way I was going to show you guys a season six episode and not have some of it be bad. That's uh, Season <laughs> six has a lot... Season six has a lot to take on its plate. Uh, this one I like because we get the story of Richard, who is our ageless uh, person on the island uh, that has been walking around all these seasons looking exactly the same. We've seen him in flashbacks, like visiting the birth of John Locke, looking the same. So the big question is what happened with Richard? And this also came in season six when we're dealing with the what is the point of our people being on the island? What is this island? Uh, we've skipped over all the stuff that I actually like more, which is the Dharma Initiative yes. and time travel. <laughs> but we're in the end game, and of the end game episodes, I think this is probably the best example of them having the classically lost structure of a character centric flashback and then like a shit ton of lore dumped on top of it. Um, I, there's another episode called uh, Across the Sea, which is basically like a Jacob Man in Black flashback episode that has more lore, but just doesn't have the anchor uh, emotionally that we get here with Richard and his wife. Um, so, Danny, have any of you read Preacher? Uh, the first trade. Yeah, I read it years ago as well. All right. So, the, 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 the Saint of Killers who's hunting Preacher, Richard's storyline is basically the Saint of Killers storyline, except Richard doesn't get mad at God. Huh at the end uh but uh saints of killers and richard both have uh sick uh wives and are sent to town and because of the cruelty of men uh don't get back uh with the cure that they do eventually get in time 
to save their wives and it leads their lives down very different paths into hell to confront the devil uh, for the saints of killers in the comic books very specifically for uh, Richard he just thinks he's going to hell because he gets sold into slavery onto the Black Rock which is the ship we've seen uh, shipwrecked on the island we get to see that we get to see the uh, giant Egyptian statue broken uh, that Jacob will later make his home in and we get to see the trials of Richard Alpert as the man in black tries to tempt him using the form of his wife into killing Jacob for him, which is all like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, the man in black and Jacob, uh, Jimmy, I guess, would be the best person to direct this to, <laughs> are basically like dueling petty gods. Yeah, yeah. They're not the god. They're not the devil. But, you know, like they're explaining here, they're tempting people, and it's kind of an asshole-ish thing to do. Nobody's 100% right, which is why I'm still kind of team lock at the end of this episode. So, like, yeah, trapping this guy in this shitty island, you keep bringing people him here. Like, who's who's being the asshole, really, to this thing? <laughs> like, given that I don't know for sure what the wine is, you know, even even still... <laughs> Because the wine turns into the light and then it becomes a completely different entity in like two episodes. So best not to think about that. <laughs> but what I like about this episode is it takes all the goofiest shit that Lost is ever going to be. It gives you your wine cork metaphor. It gives you the man in black mm -hmm. just straight up being like, I could take on the visage of dead people and I could be the smoke monster. It gives you all these in very certain terms. It gives you Hurley talking to dead people, translating for Richard's. <laughs> dead wife and it like takes all of those to what feels like 11 without breaking and i think the episode still works the problem is that lost tries to turn it up even more after this episode and i think that's where you know the scaffolding starts to shake as their construction gets too uh, complex but at least for this one i remember watching it and being like oh the island is a cork. I feel like I have a lot of answers. Mm. Richard has like this love story with his like wife. I feel like I have a lot of answers. His wife is like very invested in stopping Locke. I feel like I now have a goal for this season while like, cause previously in the episodes, like Locke came back from the dead. Then he got like Ben to stab Jacob. And you're like, I don't even really know what the season is about. <laughs> now we know. Now we know what the end game of Lost is after Abiturno, I think. I felt the same way when I first watched it. I was like, there are so many answers that happened here. I don't necessarily like them because, like, at, at that point, the smoke monster, again, was a, a six-season thing. Like, what's a smoke monster? Who's a smoke monster? What's its point? And then you find out and you're like, okay, that's <laughs> the answer. Like, uh, I think that there were, like, fan theories that were cooler or everybody, like, wanted mm. it to be their own thing. And then you're like, oh, it's it's the man in black. It's this guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so are Jacob and the the Man in Black? Is this the first introduction in this episode? Um, uh, no, this is the I think introduction about their ongoing conflict. Okay. But the first introduction we had of like Jacob, we see him and he's basically stabbed. Okay, uh, and then throughout this season, by various magical means and flashback means. We learn more about Jacob and the Man in Black's conflict, and that's sort of what this season is about. Mm. And uh, the island needs to choose a successor to Jacob, and uh, the Man in Black has chosen Locke. And because the series is about Jack versus Locke, guess who Jacob's going <laughs> to eventually choose? <laughs> yeah, but uh, they they have to t they take a long circuitous route to get mm. there. Yeah, I like the dynamic between uh, Jacob and the Man in Black. I was like, oh. That'd be cool to know it like even earlier on in the series and kind of see their conflict throughout the entirety of the series. But it's sort of a reflection of yeah, like the Cain. That's and what's made the rewatch really mm, great. Gotcha. It's sort of a reflection of like a Cain and Abel type storyline. Yeah, their yeah. brothers are opposing ends of light and darkness and stuff. Mm -hmm. What did you think of the Richard stuff, Jimmy? Um, I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I don't have a lot to say about it because I'm not too invested in these characters. But I liked that it showed. You know, what What jumped out to me is um, how brazen it was that, you know, they've done flashbacks a lot on this show to flesh out characters. But, but this whole episode was exactly. a yeah, from yeah. 140 years ago. Yeah. yeah, they devoted a large yeah. portion of their super successful primetime network series to a foreign language period piece. Yeah. Which I thought, you know, that takes balls. And I thought they pulled it off. I, I felt the emotional stakes of him losing his wife. And when he's yeah. confronted with her visage, which is really just, you know, a temptation from the man in black. Yeah. I I felt it. I thought it was done really well. I agree. I thought that was done pretty well as well. 
And then like, I like the, uh, actually, let me ask you guys, because I think I like it, but now I'm about to say it out loud. I'm not sure if I do. <laughs> what do you think about the sequence of him trying to escape with the nail? Um, uh, there was a lot of good in that. Um, uh, I thought you could really feel like his desperation and, uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say if it felt like at the time I thought it was really cool, but now looking back on it, it feels a little bit more like filler. Is that sort of what you were wondering yourself, Dave? I mean, uh, I've, so the only reason it, yes, it feels like filler, but the only reason I think it might be justified is eventually Richard says he doesn't want to die. Yeah. And eventually that beats out his ability or uh, that beats his desire to see his wife again, because if he were to die and if he's a religious man, you know, they both go to hell or whatever, yeah. or they're both in hell. And so I think without like the nail sequence, it does sort of feel weird for Richard to be like, well, I don't want to die like mm. later in the episode because that's a good point. It, it showed we always it, it shows as well. We always see him wife forward. Yeah. So it, it it showed rather than told. He didn't just come out and say, you know, we got to see before he was rescued that he was fighting for his own escape because for all he knew he was the only person on an island and he was just going to die in chains but he wasn't giving up he had a will to live and he wanted to get out right that's interesting so i guess that makes a little more sense that he would be like yeah i'm never going to see my wife again but be this eternal uh priest uh, i guess (laughs) jacob priest on this island well that's interesting um so jimmy as not to keep putting it on you but (laughs) As the most uh, underexposed to the series, did you have any overall thoughts of what we saw? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Lost definitely found a way to hook me in from the beginning. I thought that really, probably very expensive pilot episode was was definitely enough to hook me even just from there. Um, Episode two, I found a little confusing just because I didn't know a lot about the characters. And it, it was kind of a significant jump from episode one to episode 11. Mm-hmm. Um, episode three was by far my favorite episode just because I really like time travel things. And I was like, oh, that's a whole added concept that I had no idea was even in Lost. Um, I knew Lost was kind of like a weirdest show, but I, I always kind of assumed it was just like a deserted island. Like, how are we going to get off the island kind of thing? And uh, episode four, I really like the dynamics between Jacob and the man in black. Yeah. I mean, I guess uh, some of this was rewatching for me, but one of the things that jumped out for me was, um, I guess just the nature of how enjoyable it was to see a show that was sort of this high concept that came on, you know, network TV. As we got into, you know, the later mid 2000 region, uh, you know, the prestige shows tended to appear on cable. And it's nice to see the production quality and budget of a network television show being able and willing to tackle, uh, you know, sort of genre ideas like time travel and the nature of good and evil and things like that. Jeff, what did, did you have any overall thoughts after watching these four overall watching these just reminded me why I like the show on my original run through. Um, it's just the, it's so lore heavy, which all these episodes demonstrated, but it's also very character driven. And those, those two things if they do meet, sometimes they're not really pulled off in other shows. Um, sometimes you just have heavy lore or you just have like character moments. Yeah, and, that's a good point. And Lost marries them really well with their format of having the on island and then the flashbacks or flash sideways, flash forwards moving forward. Um, so I think that these these episodes were were great choices to try to talk Jimmy into and Dan into finishing and maybe me into rewatching. Um, yeah, these are really solid episodes. So, Dave, bef- since you're talking us into Lost, before you ask us if you succeeded, do you have any sort of last pushes to try to convince us one way or the other? Yes. <laughs> so, Jimmy, the things that you liked are actually the lore things. Mm. And if you can embrace those things there's a lot of this series that you're going to like okay there's maybe a middle part in season three that you won't like (laughs) and it's only because the show was like please give us an end date and abc's like we want you to do this forever and so Uh, okay 
they hit a couple episodes where they really are treading water. But then after that, there is literally a season that I would call the time travel season. <laughs> and none of these episodes were from it. Okay. Okay. Uh, for the other two, I would say that absolutely the uh, the way that it's like marrying like structure with these moments that you remember. Uh, I think you'd be surprised if you were to rewatch it or to finish it, how even in those down episodes that I was describing, uh, moment to moment, there are things in it, uh, performances, score moments, uh, weird twists that don't make sense outside of an episode, but in that episode, you know, lead to the trumpet boom sound and you're like, holy shit. Uh, I think the tight wire act that they were doing we might have, when we were first watching it, be like, well, this could be better. Now, 10 years later, I'm not sure it could have been. This might be peak television for what this show actually was. Like, I, in all the years of fan fiction and double thinking and questioning the showrunners, uh, I, I haven't come across a better example that was negated by the show. The show gave us some answers, but left things very open and also managed to be uh, just like 24 that it was running parallel with uh, a revolutionary structure for telev- broadcast television yeah. that uh, it's like of which we may not see again. Mm. So for the first time ever, because this is our very special 25th episode, all three of us are going to be able to answer whether we were talked into something. So Dave, if you would please pose the question to us all right let's let's start with dan dan did i talk you into lost yes you did talk me into lost oh boy oh yeah one down all right <laughs> jeff did i talk you into maybe rewatching lost yes you did oh boy. oh yeah two we got two, two. all right here's the person that i dropped in the deep end with a whole bunch of weird shit <laughs> Jimmy, thinking about Lost? Thinking about watching some Lost? Hmm. I suppose yes. Yes, you did. Oh, yeah. Three for a hat trick for episode number 25. Yeah, congrats, Dave. That's you did the, it. You, you did the impossible. We were all very <laughs> indecisive about things usually. Yeah, so I am looking forward to beginning my Lost rewatch and listening along to The Storm, the Lost rewatch podcast hosted by... Dave, Joanna Robinson, and Neil Miller, and I encourage you guys to do the same. Yeah, that's that's actually a, a big factor in this too. Is that I'm gonna have a companion along with the show. I'm I'm probably going to listen listen and watch along at that pace. So I'm excited. Listen, I was butt hurt from the finale, right? <laughs> because like the Dharma <laughs> Initiative, I was like, this is so good, and then the finale was like, it doesn't matter, and I was like screw you lost i never want to see you again you were my friend what did you do to me (laughs) but like it's so good it's such a a well-made show and it it deserves a rewatch because there's a lot i forgot but even rewatching like uh the the best cowboys have daddy issues there's stuff in there with like sawyer and saeed that i loved i love that aspect of the show because like you have you have these two totally different people and like one's kind of an asshole and one's like you know not (laughs) <laughs> and and I just love that character stuff. And that's throughout the entire show. And just like the lore is so cool. Like there's there's a, a smoky typewriter just floating through a jungle island, you know? It's it's, it's neat. I like it. So Yeah. Dave, we wanted to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking us into Lost as our very special guest. So where can people find you online? Uh, you could find me on Twitter at DA7E. I write at uh, Thrillist.com and Polygot.com. And I'm also on the Fighting in the War Room and the Storm and Lost Rewatch podcasts. Podcasts. Yeah. And they are all great. And I encourage you to check them out. Dave answers some great questions like, what's going on with the Terminator timeline? What matters in <laughs> Game of Thrones? All these types of things. Plus, you're a Spider-Man guru and you know all the Spider-Man facts. Oh, yeah. And this next one... It's the uh, it's got me very interested yeah. in multiverse. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Ooh, yes. So find Dave online and check out all those hot takes. In the meantime, you can find us 
at talkmeinto.com, on Twitter under the name talkmeinto. You can email us at talkmeinto at gmail.com, all that good stuff. Next week, what are we going to be talking into, Jimmy? Oh, so next week, I am going to talk Dan and Jeff into the podcast. Ooh, we're doing a podcast. That's interesting. Uh, It's called Ear Biscuits by Rhett and Link from Mythical Entertainment. And uh, it's a podcast that I've been listening to for about a year, I would say, where it's just these two uh, best friends. They've been childhood best friends for a very long time. They come up with a topic and they just discuss. Um, It's it's a pretty interesting show. I, I like their banter. And um, I'm going to pick a few episodes. They're going to be in the show notes. I have not picked them yet or else I'd be talking about them. <laughs> but um, it, it's going to be an interesting one. We've never done a podcast. We've talked about them, but we've never done a full episode just about podcasts. the podcast. conspiracy theory yeah. episode, we listen to a few episodes of a podcast. But this, this yeah. will be fun. I'm interested because yeah, I like podcasts. Wait, wait, is this your guys' first experience with Rhett and Link, period? Uh, no, I, I watch them. Uh, I've I watched Good Mythical Morning for quite a while, but I think for... I think Dan has some exposure just to from their Link. appearances on like the Tonight Show and stuff. Yeah. I've never actually watched their YouTube channel. I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe Jeff doesn't have any exposure. I've to. seen some videos when they had Weird Al on. <laughs> of <laughs> course, you yeah. They've got one of those uh, broadcast bantering styles that like seems effortless. Yes. But then sometimes I wonder if they've also just spent like a decade honing it down. Oh yeah, it's, for sure. It's a professional mystery for me, so uh, I, lo- I look forward to your guys' thoughts. Yeah. yeah, Dave's even backing me up on here. I'll take that. In the meantime, Jimmy, where can people find you online? Oh, they can find me at Son of a Fitch, S-O-N-N-A-V-A-F-I-T-C-H on Twitter and Instagram, where I'm going to be tweeting about some stuff. I don't know. It'll be fun. Dan, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Danny underscore breakdown, where I will be posting leftist political propaganda and commentating on the newest episode of Lost, maybe? I don't know. Just Is the there... last one? The season yeah, finale? just the last one. <laughs> the newest one? No. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, where can people find you? They can find me at Twitter at J-E-F-F. FFF27, Jeff of 5Fs27, where I will be tweeting about Animorphs, and Dave will agree with me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, thank you for listening to Talk Me Into, and thank you, Dave, for being on the show. What will we talk to you in the next? More guests. So a side note, did you ever find out the Terminator timeline? Oh, he's got got graphs and charts. I'm going to need to access those (laughs) for... (laughs) Just I think knowledge. if you, I think if I did this last week because I'm like a mini narcissist, but I think if you search like Terminator timeline, like Google image, I think I made like two of the things on the top row. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to Google that. Ooh, humble brag. I'm, I'm writing it down. <laughs> <laughs>